encourage you to get a Bible and be turning to Mark chapter 1 is a beginning point for us here in just a moment. Mark chapter 1. Jesus left us a wonderful example of praying for us to imitate. As we mentioned this morning, as we just finished last week, a, less, a series of lessons, seven of, of those on Jesus, who, who is Jesus? Brother Bronger, we've tried to tie both of our studies today into that series, not to overlap, but to connect that, that here are some things we learn from Jesus. He challenges us to greater services, we noticed this morning from the book of Matthew. But Jesus left us a wonderful example that we should follow in his steps, and in so doing, he left us an example of praying that we might imitate. Here's the first passage I want us to consider. Mark 1.35, we would do well that we might even memorize, at least not, if not the exact words of the verse, the concept of Mark 1.35. And the text says there, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. In case we missed it, let's look at the verse again, because I want us to get the wording of the verse. We're going to make several applications from this and another verse that in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Now let's turn to another passage in Luke chapter 6 and in verse 12. If you don't remember any other text, remember these two verses in our study tonight. In Luke 6 and verse 12 says, came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Again, it came to pass in those days he went to the mountain to pray and he continued all night in prayer to God. What powerful verses those are. What those verses do is give us an opportunity to examine our own prayer life to see how our prayer life measures up. And so we can look at ourselves and how we're praying, how we're not praying, what we pray for, the occasions for which we pray, the circumstance under which we pray. And see how that compares with what we just saw in Mark 1.35, that he got up in the morning a long while before daylight, went to a solitary place, and there he prayed. He went to the mountain and continued all night in prayer unto God. You see, our spiritual life and our maturity, our spiritual maturity is measured by our praying. Someone once said that prayer is the dipstick that measures the level of our spirituality. Your car engine has a dipstick that you go out and you check the level of the oil. And so you pull the dipstick out and you look and you're probably going to find one of three things. Probably you'll find one of uh, two of those, but it's not likely you'll find the third possibility. But here's the possibilities. It's possible that you find that dipstick to be on the full mark. It's in the okay range. So as you check that, that gives you the okay on the engine. Everything is all right with reference to the level of the oil. And you may find that to be true as you look at your prayer life, that that gives you the okay with reference to your spirituality, that things look well. You're praying as you should. You're praying as often as you should. You're praying about the things that you should. Here's another possibility. You pull the dipstick out and you may find that it's lacking it may be in the add section where it tells you you need to add something so that it gets up to the level where it needs to be. And it may be that as I look at my prayer life compared to Jesus, I find something is missing in my life. Maybe I'm not praying as often as I should. I might not be praying under the circumstances. I might not be praying for the things I should. And so I'm in that add section 
where I need to contribute more and do more that I might bring it up to the level. It is not likely, though it's possible, I suppose, that you're going to find the oil overfilled. It's not likely that you say, I drained some last week and I keep, it comes back and it's getting more and more and I, I can't get it down to the level. I've just got such an abundance of oil. And you're not likely to find that true with reference to your spirituality. Either you're not likely to look at your prayer life and you say, what? Well, you know, I'm praying too much. I'm praying for, for too many things. I'm praying for too many people. And, and there's just too much prayer going on. It's not likely that that's going to be the case. So tonight, let's talk about praying like Jesus prayed from those two verses. What do I learn from those two verses? Mark 1, 35, Luke 6, 12. What do I learn? Here's the first thing I learned. I learned from this that Jesus prayed in a solitary place. Jesus prayed in a solitary place. Let's look at those two verses again. Now in the morning, having arisen a long while before daylight, he departed to a, here we are, a solitary place. And there he prayed. Something about that, the text mentions it, it must be important, that he departed and went to a solitary place and there he prayed. Now the other text, Luke 6 and verse 12, says he went to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer unto God. I'm learning something very simple, and that is Jesus prayed in a solitary place. What I'm learning from the example of Jesus is that he prayed in a quiet place. He prayed in a place that was free from distraction. Jesus understood there's a place that is necessary and essential where he could concentrate easily on the things he wants to say to his father. A quiet place is where you can concentrate easy. Jesus well understood, as we should, that prayer must be from the heart. Prayer is not a ritual that you go through the reciting of words, paying no attention. I've just got a recital of words I've got to go through. And if I could just recite these or read these words and just go through the motion, then I've made my prayer unto God and all is acceptable. He recognized prayer is something that comes forth from the heart. Romans 10 and verse 1, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. What's he saying? When my heart's desire is expressed to God, that's when I pray to God. Jesus well understood that. The place where we pray must be conducive to prayer. Now let's turn to Matthew 6, and before you get over there, let me remind you that we were there this morning, and I well understand what the passage is saying. And the focal point really is not on the place. I would be the first to make that point. That Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 is not giving great emphasis to the place, or even to secrecy, but on sincerity and the attitude. I understand that. I got that. But let's go back and look at Matthew 6. This is where Jesus was talking about that hypocrisy we discussed this morning and challenges us to sincere service. And he says that when you pray, beginning at verse 5, do not be like the hypocrites who stand on the street corners praying to be seen of men. Now verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and when you've shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. What I am merely suggesting is maybe that implies that a place conducive for prayer is a prayer is a place where we can pray and think about what we're praying. You see, Jesus often went into the wilderness to pray. Let's look at Luke chapter 5 and in verse 16. He didn't just go to the wilderness, but notice in Luke 5 and in verse 16 that he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. 
And if you take these three passages, we've looked at Luke 6, 12, he went to the mountain to pray. He went there for the purpose of prayer. He went to the solitary place to pray, Mark 1. And now in Luke 5, he often, the text says, went to the wilderness to pray. And what I'm learning from that is Jesus found a quiet place that was conducive for prayer. I want you to notice, too, that I learned from this passage that prayer was important enough to go to a place to pray. Now, that may seem a little strange. If you were to tell somebody, I'm leaving this room and going to another room, and well, why are you going? I'm going over there to pray. Or I'm leaving this house and going to another building to pray. I'm going somewhere to pray. Well, why can't you pray right there where you are? That may seem a little strange. But prayer was important enough to Jesus to go to a place to pray. He didn't just happen to be in a solitary place. That's not the wording of Luke, uh, Mark 1 in verse 35, that he happened to be walking and, and journeying from one place to another. Here's a solitary place. While I'm here, I think I'll just pray. He didn't just be, happen to be passing through the mountains. He went to the mountains for the purpose of prayer. And again, in Luke chapter 5, he often went to the wilderness, not just happened to be in the wilderness. In other words, he journeyed to those places for the purpose of prayer. It is true prayer can be offered in any place and at any time and perhaps under any circumstance. But it is also true that we need to understand there is value in a place that allows us to pray without distraction. Prayer at times can be difficult. How so? Now you stop and think just for a moment. It, it, it'd be difficult to pray and to concentrate on prayer in a noisy place and where there is a crowded place and, and where there are distractions and the mind begin to wonder because you're beginning to think about things that are being said and things that are being done. To say the least, our surroundings may make us rush through our prayer. I'd like to say more in prayer, but because of all the circumstances and the noise and the distraction, I may rush through those words of the prayer. When the telephone is ringing, music is playing, the television is blaring, children are laughing and playing, making noise, it's hard to concentrate and think about the things you want to say in prayer. Jesus went to a solitary place and there he prayed. Now let me ask by emphasis, where do you pray? I know Jesus went to a solitary place. I don't know where it was, but he went to a solitary place. I know he went to the mountain to pray. And I know he often went to the wilderness to pray. Often did that. Where do you pray? And may I suggest that you find the place that is solitary and conducive for prayer. For one, that may be in the bedroom, early in the hours of the morning or maybe late at night. For another, it may be to go off into the basement. Another, it may be to go to their office or to the barn or to the garage or wherever it may be. There's a special place in your environment that you can find. It's worth finding a place that's conducive to prayer. If I learn anything from the prayer life of Jesus, he thought it was important to go to a solitary place and there pray because he had something to pray to his God about. Here's the second thing I learned from those same two passages, Mark 1, Luke chapter 6. I learned this, that Jesus made time for prayer. And what I mean by that, he scheduled time for prayer. Let's go back to our text in Mark 1. And Luke 6, and we might add a third, Luke 5. If he often went to the wilderness, let's just start with that third one. If he often went into the wilderness, that's telling me he made time for prayer. But go back to Mark 1. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. He departed 
Long while before daylight, the text says. Now back to Mark or Luke 6 and in verse 12, the text says he continued all night in prayer to God. Now let's parse some things out and by meaning that I'll see some differences in things. Here's what we want to see. First of all, I want you to see there's a difference in making time for prayer and praying as one has the time or finds the time. You say, what's the difference? One who prays as they have time or if they can find time may not always have the time and may not always find the time. Jesus made and scheduled time for prayer. He got up a long while before daylight. He continued all night in prayer unto God. That's making and scheduling time. He's not praying as he happens to find the time. Furthermore, there is a difference in making time for prayer and praying because one does have time on their hands. You say, what's the difference? Suppose you're running to an appointment. Maybe it's a doctor's appointment or maybe to meet someone and you happen to get there 15 minutes early. And so you say, well, you know what? I've got 15 minutes. Uh, I think I'll spend some time praying. Great. Nothing wrong with that. But what if you were running right on time or you're running late? You don't have time for prayer. That's not what Jesus was doing. It's not that he happened to be in a place early, happened to have time on his hand, but he's making and scheduling time for prayer. Jesus made time for prayer, and I want you to notice he got up early in order to pray, a long while before daylight that he might pray. Is prayer important enough to you that you would get up earlier, that you might spend time in prayer? Jesus made time for prayer in the midst of a very busy, busy schedule. Now, this is not a Bible class, and I don't normally ask for a show of hands even in a Bible class for this, but just in your mind, ask, answer this question. If, if you were to be asked this, is anybody present that's busier than our Lord was during his personal ministry? I don't know about you, but I have a very busy schedule. And I don't know of anybody that doesn't have a busy schedule. But I tell you what, I don't think I'm any busier than the Lord. I don't think I'm accomplishing more in three and a half years than Jesus did during his personal ministry. I'm not busier than the Lord, and nor are you busier than the Lord. And yet Jesus made time and scheduled time for prayer in the midst of a very busy schedule. So did David do this. Let's turn to Psalm 55. We're just learning some very basic fundamental lessons about prayer. Nothing that we didn't already know. Look at Psalm 55. This is that psalm of the sore distressed, as Irvin Jensen calls it. Great transition of thought goes on in this psalm. But one of the things that's involved in that is he prayed to God in the midst of this turmoil that he went through. And I want you to notice what David said. David said at verse 17, evening, morning, and noon I will pray and cry aloud. Well, if he's right about what he says, and I think he was, and he's writing by inspiration, then that means he made in scheduled time in the morning, he made in scheduled time in noon, and he made in scheduled time in evening for prayer. Let's go to the book of Daniel. Daniel did the same thing. You recall how that Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, when he was warned not to pray to God anymore, the text says in Daniel 6 and in verse 10, that he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks, as was his custom since the early days. Daniel's an old man at this point. His custom had been since the early days to pray three times a day, and he did that again. So he's making and scheduling time for prayer, just like Jesus did. I want to suggest to you that we often are too busy sometimes. I don't know about you, but perhaps this only fits 
Maybe in my circle where you get busy in the mornings, you're getting ready for work, you're getting ready for school, you're getting ready to do whatever your activities are for the day, you're trying to get dressed, you're trying to get things tidied up before you get onto your task, and you're just too busy to spend much time in prayer. The days are packed full so that we are busy with our work, with our recreation, with our family activities. We have this to do, we have that to do, and then nightfall comes and we're tired and we fall asleep trying to pray because we really didn't make much time for prayer. I want to suggest to you that prayer was important enough to Jesus to lose sleep in order to pray. He got up a long while before daylight. He continued all night in prayer, Luke 6. Prayer was important enough to Jesus, he got up early, and at other times he may stay up, like he did in Luke 6. Are you willing to get up early in order to pray, or are you willing to stay up later that you might pray? Prayer was important enough that he made prayer, made time for prayer, and it's important enough for us that we make time for prayer when we're most alert. For you, it may be in the early hours of the morning. For someone else, it may be late at night. For another, it may be right in the middle of the day. But make and schedule some time for prayer in your life. Who is this Jesus we're following? We're followers of the Lord. Well, he left us a great example. And what his example was is that he made time for prayer and he prayed in a solitary place. But I want to tell you something else he did in both of those texts. He had a lot to pray about. He had a lot of things about which to pray. Let's go back to those two texts. Back to Mark 1. Mark 1 doesn't use that phrase, Jesus had a lot to pray about, but it's implied, and here's how it's implied. Notice the text says, having, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. If Jesus didn't have much to say in prayer, it was just a little ritual of words that he could utter in about, about 30 seconds, it's not worth departing from one place and going to another. It's not worth getting up a long while before daylight to go and pray. That tells me he had a lot to pray about. And I know he had a lot to pray about in Luke chapter 6 because he went to the mountain, had enough to pray about, it's worth going to the mountain, and furthermore, he continued all night in prayer unto God. Jesus did a lot of praying. Let's start with the fact that he continued all night in prayer to God, Luke 6. I have questions about that that I don't have answers to. Perhaps you do. Was that one continuous prayer all night long? Did Jesus begin praying in the early hours of the night and he continued and never stopped that one prayer and continued all night long into the early hours of the morning? I don't know. Maybe. That would fit the wording of the text, if that's your interpretation. Or was it this? Was it several prayers throughout the night? Did he pray for a while and then take a break from that prayer and then pray again and take a break from that prayer and then pray again and take a break and then he prayed again? That would fit the wording of the text. You might say, I ate all day long. That doesn't mean you never stopped eating and consuming. You may eat for a while and take a little break, and you eat again, and you take a break, and you eat again. You may have ate all day long, but you didn't eat every minute of the day. And that very well would fit the pattern of the text. Which one was it? I don't know. There's another question I have. Were his thoughts and his requests ever repeated? In other words, when Jesus started praying, did he never repeat a thought or a request before God and everything he said after that was never a repeat of what he said earlier? Or did he repeat things over and over and over like he did in Matthew 26? I don't know. But here's one thing I do know from this. I know this for sure, that that was a lot of praying when he prayed all night to prayer to God. 
Look again at Luke 6 and verse 12. Then he went into the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. That's a lot of praying. That's a lot of praying. Now that doesn't suggest to us that prayers have to be long. That's not the lesson we're learning from this. In fact, some prayers were long, like Luke 6 and verse 12. Whether that was one continuous prayer, or did he pray and then pray again, and then he prayed again and prayed again. That's a lot of praying. There were other occasions, let's go to Matthew chapter 26, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was weighing, things were weighing heavy on his mind about his crucifixion. He prayed to God, but each of those three prayers that were uttered in Matthew chapter 26 were quite short. Turn with me to Matthew 26, and I want you to notice with me at verse 39. Here was his prayer. His prayer involved, O Father, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless not as I will, but as you will. And that was his prayer. It wasn't very long at all. And he decided to offer that same prayer again. Notice at verse 42, O my Father, if it's possible, if this cup could pass away uh, from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And that was the extent of his prayer. And then the third time, I want you to notice verse 44, he prayed the same thing with the same words. I'm not saying that prayers have to be long. It's just saying he had a lot of things to pray about. There's so much for which we could be praying. For example, there are various elements. Let's turn to 1 Timothy 2 and in verse 1. If I'm learning anything from the example of Jesus, Jesus had a lot of things to pray about. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul told Timothy, I exhort you, first of all, that supplications, that's one element of prayer, making a request unto God. Prayer is another form of a request to God. Clark suggests one of those is for the averting of evil and the other is for the receiving of good. Perhaps that is the distinction. I'm not sure. There's intercession, praying on behalf of others, and the giving of thanks, offering thanksgiving unto God. To say the least, there are various elements that suggest there's much for which we have to pray. Let's go to James chapter 5. James gives us an illustration of being very specific about specific things. This is in the context of the verse that says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In other words, prayer does good. Well, give me an example of that, James. All right, let's talk about Elijah prayed that it might not rain, and he prayed that it would rain. That's very specific, isn't it? He didn't just pray, bless us in, in good ways, but pray that it wouldn't rain. He prayed that it would rain. That's very specific. We might pray for specific people. Jesus said concerning Peter, I have prayed for you, that is you specifically, that your faith fail not. That's pretty specific about a specific person. And what that's telling me is we have a lot of things for which to pray. Now let's list some of those things that we might pray about. There is the matter of thanksgiving. And in giving thanks unto God, you say, well, what, what do I say in prayer? Well, if I'm offering thanksgiving unto God, I might be thankful for spiritual blessings. And since there is an example of being very specific in prayer, I might be very specific in thanking God for things like the sacrifice of His Son and the remission of sins, that my sins were all taken away, that I could have the hope of eternal life, that we might have a mediator that pleads our cause, that helps us with our trials and tribulations as we're seeing in the book of Revelation. Thankful for the word that has been revealed, for its clarity, for its simplicity that I can read and understand. The privilege of approaching God in prayer and the freedom that we have in this country. As George mentioned a moment ago, that we might worship God. We might be thankful for physical, material things like food, our clothes and our shelter, our health. 
the transportation that we have, modern conveniences that make life so enjoyable. Maybe our money that we have, however little it may be, we we're thankful that we have money to get by on and that we have jobs. We might be thankful for our families. Thank God for our husbands and our wives and our children and our parents, our siblings and other family members, particularly those that are godly and influential upon us. We might thank God for our family and our friends and our brethren. We might even enumerate, thank you for brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so and for what they mean to the cause and how they've influenced, how they've encouraged me. Be thankful. And we're just in the matter of thanksgiving. We might include in our prayers praise unto God. We might praise God for being the almighty God. Revelation 4 and in verse 8. We might praise him as being the great and the awesome God. The one from whom every blessing flows. John, James chapter 1 and in verse 17. The one who holds the world in the palm of his hand. Isaiah 40. The one who spoke the world and it begins to exist. He's spoken and it was done. Psalm 33. And that's just the beginning. You want to look at some, some phrases? Read the Psalms. Look at jo uh, Jeremiah 32. You will find expressions of praise unto God. And then there's the matter of making requests unto God. We might ask for God's help. We might pray for strength. We might pray for protection and care through the night or through a trip. We might pray God that he would bless us with wisdom. We want wisdom. And the things that we're dealing with. We'll say more about that in a moment. We might make a request for forgiveness. We might even pray specifically about the weather. For the danger that is looming. We might include in our prayers intercession. That is prayers on behalf of others. We might pray for our leaders and for our rulers. No matter who is in party. Pray for them that we might have free course of the gospel. And freedom to worship. We might pray for those that are sick. We might pray for alien sinners who need to obey the gospel. Erring Christians that need to turn back. Those that are weak in the faith. They haven't departed yet, but they're growing weaker by the day. Pray for them that they may become stronger. Elders would encourage you to pray for them. Deacons would do the same. And so would the preacher encourage you to pray. And so for, would we for those that we love and that we care about. Now, what I'm trying to suggest to us that is if the sinless son of God needed to pray that much, then that means we need to pray a lot too. I'm learning something from Jesus. He prayed about a lot of things. And if he needed to spend time in prayer, then I do need to do that, do that as well. Here's the fourth and final lesson I'm learning from these two passages. And that is that Jesus prayed before an important decision. Before Jesus made a very important decision, he spent some time in prayer. So let's go back to Luke chapter 6 and in verse 12. Jesus prayed before a major decision that he made. Jesus made a lot of decisions. But there was a major decision that impacted the history of the church. And Jesus prayed before that. So let's look at the text in Luke 6 and verse 12. The verse says, it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray. And continued all night in prayer to God. Now that verse alone doesn't tell me what he prayed about. It doesn't tell me what it was on his mind. Doesn't tell me why he spent all night in prayer to God, but perhaps the next verse implies something. So let's look at the very next verse. Get verse 13. And when it was day, remember he prayed all night to God? And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose 12, whom he named, also named apostles. What a major decision that was. I told you it impacted the history of the church. 
And so we have the apostles going forth preaching in the book of Acts, these very men that were chosen by our Lord. And he did that the very first thing he did when he finished praying all night long. It seems by implication to me that must have been on his mind. How could he make this major decision and know he was making that major decision and not come to his mind into the forefront during his praying all night long? And when it was day, verse 13, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose twelve whom he named apostles. You see, it's at that time, before a major decision that you're making, to ask for wisdom. If any lack wisdom, let him ask of God. By the way, that's in a context of James 1 of understanding there's some good that may come from things that are difficult. God, help me to see the good. Help me to see the wise direction. Help me to know the right way to go. Help me to know what is the wise course. I might pray for opportunities. Here's a major decision. Is, is this going to be an opportunity to serve you better or is this direction going to give me the opportunity to serve you better? Give me the opportunity. Help me to see where I am more opportune to serve you. I might ask God to defeat me in decisions I'm trying to make. That if this is going to be the wrong direction to go, defeat me. Help me to see that it's wrong. Help someone to advise me. May something take place that I don't go in that direction. That I see the error of that direction. We ought to pray before important decisions. And I want to suggest to you that we face many important decisions. That we need to spend some time praying. What about before we get married? Rather than stumbling carelessly into a marriage relationship without any thought, maybe if we spent time, even before we started dating, that we'll have the wisdom to date the right person. One that fears God and walks in the fear of God. And as we date, may we have the wisdom to make the right decisions as we approach marriage. And before we enter into marriage or think about entering into marriage, may we make the right decision wherein we can serve God together and fear God and raise children to fear God. Before we decide having children and raising those children, we may spend some time praying to God and asking God, help us. Help us to know what we should do and when we should do it and how we should raise and rear this child. Help me to understand the, the wisdom of when to correct and when not to correct and when to discipline and when not to discipline and, and which battles to pick. Help me to know that. Pray for wisdom. Before taking a job, this job may lead you away from the Lord, though it's not wrong within itself, but it may put you in an environment that leads you away from the Lord, or it may help you. Is that a wise choice to make? Is it going to be good for you spiritually? Or where are you going to go to college? It may not be the college is wrong within itself. It may not be what's going on there, but maybe it's going to put me in an environment where the church is weak. Is that really what I need? Or would I be better to get a poor education and greater spirituality? Maybe that's better. I may need to ask for wisdom before making college decisions. Churches ought to spend a lot of time praying, and we did here years ago, before selecting elders. That had everything to do with selecting elders here, I'm convinced. Spent two years, every service, where we prayed for the selection of elders before they were ever appointed. Maybe if we spent churches spent more time praying about men serving, the selection process would go smoother. In selecting preachers, prayer ought to be offered. 
and taking on some responsibility. Maybe you're, you're given some responsibility. Maybe it's just some menial task or it may be a great responsibility at work. Before you accept that, maybe you want to pray to God about that before making that important decision. I want us to turn now to 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 21. With, with the, the four principles in mind, we'll come back to those four principles in just a second. I want you to see that when we're praying like Jesus, Jesus serves as our example. That we should follow in his steps. When Jesus prayed in a solitary place, when, when Jesus made and scheduled time for prayer, when he prayed about a lot of things, and when he prayed before an important decision, he serves as an example for us. Here's what the passage said. For... To this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, the text said, that you should follow in his steps. The text says Jesus is our example. It's a compound word. Hupografo is the two words, hupo and grafo. Hupo means under. Grafo, graphic, writing. It literally means a writing under. Or, as Strong says, an underwriting, a copy for imitation. It alludes to learning penmanship, is what that alludes to. Jesus is our writing copy. In other words, we write under him. Meaning we look to the example. And so it alludes to learning penmanship. When you were in kindergarten, preschool, or first grade, depending on your age, you might learn to learn to develop a right the alphabet. You might start with the letter A the first day. And the teacher may have on the board or on the tablet or maybe the page before you or on the electronic if it's lately in the, in the latest of days. But in our day, it was all across the, the room on the, on the side of the wall. And we're going to work on our letter A. The example is our writing copy. In other words, we as the students were trying to imitate and make our copy just like the writing copy. And I want to tell you, the first efforts were quite feeble. So you start and you make your letter A. But the teacher would come in, that's good, that's good, but, but you need to bring those lines in just a little bit. You're kind of long on the one side. That doesn't look exactly like that. It's a, it's a good effort, a good start, but see if you can make it even better. So you make another effort at it, and you see, well, that's a little bit better, but you still need to work on it a little bit, bring those lines up a little bit. It doesn't look exactly like, and you just keep working until you become more and more like the exact copy, the perfect copy you have before you. You see, Jesus left us an example in prayer life, and he is the writing copy. I'm to imitate that. My first efforts are not so great. Oh, yeah, it looks kind of like that. Yeah, maybe I'm praying in a solitude. Maybe I'm praying about some things, but not as much as he prays. But I keep working and keep growing and keep developing until I look more and more and more like our writing copy. How's your prayer life looking? How does it compare? Jesus left us an example. Look at John 13. He is our example. He said, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. You said, I set examples before you to imitate. The Apostle Paul said that imitate me as I imitate Christ. See, that's what you're doing in a writing type. I'm trying to imitate. I'm trying to be just like that. I want to be just like what I see. And that's what Paul said. Look at Romans 15 and in verse 5. 
Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded to one another according to Christ Jesus. Follow his example. 1 John 2 and in verse 6, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Do you abide in Christ? You say, well, sure I do. Then walk like he walks. Follow his example. What kind of life? prayer life did he set before us Jesus prayed in a solitary place he made time for prayer he had a lot for which to pray and he prayed before an important decision those four lessons we learned from two simple passages Mark 1 and Luke 6 and in verse 12 there may be one or more present who's not a Christian not a child of God would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God would you repent of your sins acknowledge your faith would you be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come all together we stand and while we sing?